The committee will come to order. Welcome all to today's full committee hearing on nominations. We have a full slate today with five nominees for very important posts, including three nominees for ambassadorships in the Indo-Pacific region. I'm grateful for these nominees and their families who are here with us today uh, for their willingness to serve and sacrifice on behalf of our great country. Uh, Senator Markey is a bit delayed uh, today, but with his permission, we will go ahead and begin with the uh, testimonies from the nominees, uh, and he will deliver his opening statement upon arrival. But before we get into the nominees, I know Senator Young is here with an introduction. Senator Young, why don't you proceed with your introduction? Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, it's an honor to introduce Michael DeSombre today. Mr. DeSombre has spent the past 20 years living and working in Hong Kong, so he's well-versed in how to get things done in Asia. Mr. DeSombre began gathering his knowledge of Asia as he studied quantitative economics, then East Asian studies at Stanford University. He went on to study at Harvard Law School, where he graduated magna cum laude. In addition to his academic work on law and economics, he's also mastered speaking Mandarin, which is very impressive for someone who's still working on English, right? <laughs> Um, speaking Chinese has opened a number of doors uh, for Mr. DeSombre. Um, uh, it's given him a unique position in his business interactions. He's an expert on mergers and acquisitions and a partner in the law firm of Sullivan and Cromwell since 2004. He's honed his negotiation skills representing U.S. businesses opposite Chinese and other counterparties. Needless to say, having someone with Mr. DeSombre's extensive Asia experience living and working throughout the region will serve the United States very, very well in Thailand. What also sets Mr. DeSombre apart from others and his efforts to give back to others as he serves on several boards uh, that do meaningful and important work in Asia. As a board member of the Hong Kong Forum, he has sought to promote greater interaction and sharing of ideas between scholars and policymakers worldwide. As we look at the news coming out of Hong Kong right now, there's no question we need better dialogue to help resolve the crisis there. Mr. DeSombre has also been on the board of Save the Children Hong Kong since 2015. In that role, he's furthered the organization's goal of becoming more professional and responsive to the important mandate of helping each child achieve their full human potential. I'm grateful he's accepted the call to serve his country. I know it's something that uh, he and his wife discussed even before they were married, and his, his uh, lovely bride is present today with three of his four children. I know they're all very proud of him. We're grateful for uh, his desire to serve, his heart for service. We know he will be a true asset to the State Department, to the President, and to the nation. I look forward to supporting his nomination before this committee and on the Senate floor. Mr. Chairman, I yield back. Thank you, Senator Young. Thank you very much for that kind introduction. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and introduce each and every uh, one of the other witnesses uh, before we begin with the testimony. So uh, I'll go ahead and start, uh, since Mr. DeSombre has already been introduced uh, graciously by Senator Young, I'll begin with the introduction of uh, uh, Ms. Cantor. Uh, our next witness is Ms. Carmen Cantor, nominated to serve as ambassador to the Federated States of Micronesia. Uh, Ms. Cantor is a career member of the Senior Executive Service and currently serves as Director of the Civil Service Human Resource Management at the Department of State. Previously, Ms. Cantor uh, served in various roles within the Department of State, including as the Executive Director of the Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs and Bureau of International Information Programs and as Executive Director of the Bureau of Counterterrorism. Welcome uh, to the committee and thank you very much for your service. 
Uh, our next witness is uh, Ambassador Kelly Eccles-Curry, uh, who is nominated to serve as Ambassador-at-Large for Global Women's Issues. Ambassador Curry currently serves as Deputy to the Ambassador-at-Large and Senior Bureau Official at the Office of Global Criminal Justice. From 2017 to 2019, she served as U.S. Representative to the Economic and Social Council at the U.S. Mission to the United Nations. Thank you. Welcome back, Ambassador Curry. Thank you for your service as well. Ambassador Kim, uh, our next witness, uh, nominated to serve as the Ambassador to Indonesia. Ambassador Kim is a career member of the Senior Foreign Service and currently serves as Ambassador to the Philippines. Ambassador Kim has an extensive history of public service, including as Ambassador to the Republic of Korea, Special Envoy for the Six-Party Talks, Director of the Office of Korean Affairs, Special Representative for North Korea Policy, and Deputy Assistant Secretary of State in the Bureau of East Asian and Pacific Affairs. Uh, welcome back, Ambassador Kim, and thank you for your long and distinguished career. Uh, and our final witness uh, today is Mr. Morse Tan, who is nominated to serve as Ambassador at Large for Global Criminal Justice. Mr. Tan is an Associate Professor and Professor of Law at Northern Illinois University College of Law. Previously, he served as an Assistant Associate Professor of Law at Florida Coastal School of Law and Visiting Professor of Law at the University of St. Thomas and a Visiting Scholar at both the University of Texas Law School and Northwestern University Pritzker School of Law. Uh, welcome to you as well, and thank you for all of you for your willingness to serve. Uh, so we'll go ahead and begin with uh, Ms. Cantor, if you'd like to start. Uh, but I would remind all witnesses that uh, we have a long day of both uh, this panel as well as a, a, a subcommittee hearing following this. And in the middle somewhere, there are a number of votes that are about to occur, so uh, beginning at four or so. So I would kindly ask that you limit your testimony uh, to your remarks to no more than five minutes. Your full written statement, obviously, will be made a part of the record. Uh, with that, Ms. Cantor, you may begin. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman and distinguished members of this committee. I am honored to appear before you today as the President's nominee to be the next United States Ambassador to the Federated States of Micronesia, the FSM. I am grateful for the confidence that President Trump and Secretary of State Pompeo have placed in me with this nomination. If confirmed, I pledge to do my utmost to uphold this trust and to advance our nation's interests in the FSM and in the vital Indo-Pacific region. Over the past 29 years, I have been privileged to serve our nation in different roles and agencies, the Postal Service, the Federal Maritime Commission, the Foreign Agricultural Service, and the Department of State. Any measure of success that I achieved during these appointments would not have been possible without the support of my family, so I would like to start by expressing my heartfelt gratitude to them. I come from a very large Puerto Rican family. My father, an Army veteran, is one of 18 siblings. My mother is one of nine siblings. I have one sister and many uncles, aunts and cousins. I won't name them all, but I do want to recognize my husband, Carlos, a public servant at the Postal Service and HHS for the last 35 years, who is here with me today. Our daughters are here as well. Ashley is a public servant at NASA. Amanda is a student at the University of Maryland and Adriana at Annapolis High School. As the FSM President David Panuelo highlighted in his inauguration speech, the U.S. is the FSM's most important partner. And from our perspective, the FSM is an important longtime partner, a stronghold of freedom in the Indo-Pacific. We share a distinctive partnership based on mutual values enshrining the compact of free association. The FSM's geopolitical importance is clear. They share our vision for an open and free Indo-Pacific that respects sovereignty, rule of law, and transparency. With that solid foundation in place, 
the reality is that we are at a historic moment. We have an opportunity to act as a positive alternative to China's growing presence in the FSM and the region. If confirmed, I will work to ensure the U.S. continues to support the FSM's peace, prosperity, democracy, and freedoms. I will continue to foster an interagency environment of collaboration with U.S. agencies, including Interior Defense, AID, HHS, Agriculture, and others. Pursuant to the compact, the U.S. government provides economic assistance and access to federal programs and services, including the FDIC, Postal Service, and NOAA, to name a few. The U.S. is also responsible for security and defense matters in and relating to the FSM and has a special and extensive access to operate in the FSM's territory, as well as the authority to deny access to the FSM by other countries' militaries and their personnel. In August, Secretary Pompeo became the first Secretary of State to visit the FSM, where he announced our intent to begin negotiations on agreements to amend certain provisions of the compact. If confirmed, I will continue working on solidifying our bonds with the FSM by facilitating efficient negotiations to advance our mutually beneficial partnership. FSM's sons and daughters, citizens representing all four states, serve in the U.S. military at per capita rates higher than most U.S. states. Ten citizens of the FSM have paid the ultimate price and died in combat while serving in the U.S. Armed Forces. Many FSM citizens join our military and put their lives at risk on behalf of freedom and democracy around the world. If confirmed, I will work with our Department of Veteran Affairs and the Department of Defense to improve the assistance veterans in the FSM receive. The FSM is highly vulnerable to natural disasters. I am not a stranger to the issues and challenges surrounding natural disasters in an island environment. Living in Puerto Rico, I remember very vividly Hurricane Hugo in 1989 and saw from afar the damage caused by Hurricanes Georges in 1998 and Maria in 2017. I am aware of the loss caused by Typhoon Wutip in the FSM this past winter. If confirmed, I will work with the FSM government to strengthen their resilience to disasters through preparedness, and I will make the safety of our embassy staff a top priority. In closing, I can envision a greater honor other than to lead the U.S. mission to the FSM. Mr. Chairman, if confirmed, I look forward to working with you and the honorable members of this committee to advance U.S. interests in the FSM and to sustain and expand the progress we have achieved in our unique, long-term, and positive relationship with this extremely important partner. Again, thank you for the opportunity to appear before you today. I will be pleased to answer any questions you may have. Mr. Sombre. Chairman, Ranking Member, Senators, I thank you for the opportunity to appear before you today as the nominee for the Ambassador to the Kingdom of Thailand. I want to thank President Trump for nominating me to be his personal representative to the Kingdom of Thailand, and I wish to thank Secretary Pompeo for his strong support. I am grateful to all members of this committee for the opportunity today to speak with you about my qualifications and intentions. I want to thank my wife and four children for their support of my desire to enter public service. My wife Jean and I recently celebrated our 27th wedding anniversary. Jean has always been my inspiration, and in the last 27 years, we have managed to build our respective professional careers while together raising four wonderful children, Winona, Gabrielle, Michael Ray, and Phoenix. Notwithstanding the logistical challenges of two continents and three cities, I am very pleased to be joined here today by my wife, Jean, my two daughters, and my youngest son, Phoenix. My eldest son, Michael Ray, plays scrum half on his rugby team in Hong Kong and is critical to their success at two matches during this period, and thus was not able to make it here today. If I am confirmed, my son looks forward to playing rugby in Bangkok. I also would like to thank my parents, Eugene and Nancy, for their support. Mom and Dad were not able to make it here in person, but I know they are watching the live stream back in Chicago. 
Since a young age, I have been motivated to serve my country. I believe that my experience in legal, economic, and strategic matters over the past 30 years is directly relevant to the position for which I've been nominated. I have been a practicing lawyer for almost 25 years. I fundamentally believe in the importance of the rule of law, transparency, and good governance. This is true both for corporations and for countries. As the head of Sullivan and Cromwell's acquisitions practice in Asia, I've advised many Western corporations on complex investments in many different Asian countries, including Thailand. I also am frequently engaged by corporations to provide training on high-stakes negotiations. I've been a student of strategic issues between the United States and China since the late 1980s, when I received my master's degree in East Asian studies focused on China's military and foreign policy. While living and working in Hong Kong and China for the past two decades, I've had a front row seat to the challenges and opportunities presented by China's economic and military modernization. If confirmed, I will apply my background in law, commerce, and strategic issues in Asia to work with our longtime ally, Thailand, to advance a free and open Indo-Pacific, including promoting the rule of law and good governance, strengthening the economic partnership with Thailand, and further enhancing the U.S.-Thai military alliance. In that regard, I would like to thank Senator Gardner and Senator Markey for their leadership on the Asia Reassurance Initiative Act, which reflects very clearly the administration's foreign policy priorities in Asia. Thailand and the United States share an enduring friendship. Last year marked the 200th anniversary of Thailand and the United States as great and good friends, as President Lincoln told His Majesty Rama IV back in 1862. 2019 has already been a historic year for our Thai friends. Thailand saw the coronation of His Majesty King Rama X, and also saw the long-awaited elections that stood up a new civilian government led by Prime Minister Prayut Chanocha. The resumption of elected civilian governance presents an opportunity for the U.S. to raise its cooperation with Thailand to a new level. Thailand is a major non-NATO ally and the only United States ally in mainland Southeast Asia. We have a broad, multifaceted relationship with Thailand that is both bilateral and regional in scope. The U.S.-Thai alliance helps Thailand and the lower Mekong countries maintain their sovereignty while protecting their security, supporting their economies, and safeguarding their rich cultures and environment. Our deep partnership with Thailand also includes more than a half century of extensive cooperation on public health issues of common concern in Thailand and in the region. The United States and Thailand have a growing economic and commercial relationship, and if confirmed, it will be a priority of mine to focus on expanding this relationship. I am particularly excited by the opportunities available by the creation of the Development Finance Corporation under the BUILD Act. Thailand is making democratic strides, However, more progress is needed. If confirmed, I will consult closely with Congress to ensure we continue to promote the rule of law, transparency, human rights, democracy, and good governance in Thailand. I am confident that Thailand will become an even stronger ally as it strengthens its democratic institutions. If confirmed, I will dedicate myself to the U.S. government's highest priority, the protection of U.S. citizens in Thailand. I will also have the honor and privilege of leading the dedicated Americans and local staff of the State Department and the many other U.S. government agencies that make up Mission Thailand. As Secretary Pompeo emphasized before this committee in April of last year, the State Department's responsibility and one of my top priorities, if confirmed, is to empower the staff of Mission Thailand and provide them with the necessary support to apply their capabilities and ideas to further U.S. foreign policy goals. I have spent the last 15 years leading teams and organizations in the private and NGO sectors in Asia and would hope to bring this experience to the management of Mission Thailand. Finally, Chairman, Ranking Member, and Senators, I would like to respectfully ask you for your support for my nomination. I look forward to your questions. 
Well done. Five minutes exactly. Thank you, Mr. DeSombre. Uh, Ambassador Kim, thank you very much for your service uh, and uh, the opportunity to have worked with you in, in, uh, in both the Philippines and on Korea issues. I look forward to your statement. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman, Senator Young, I'm deeply honored to appear before you as the President's nominee to be U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Indonesia. I'm grateful to the President and Secretary Pompeo for placing their confidence in me. And if confirmed, I look forward to working closely with this important committee to advance our strong relationship with Indonesia. With your permission, Mr. Chairman, I would like to begin by thanking my family, my wife, Jay, and our daughters, Erin and Erica. So my, at my confirmation hearing three years ago, they could not be present. They promised that they watched me on C-SPAN. So I'm delighted that they're actually here with me today. I know they're proud and excited about the prospect of helping me represent the United States and Indonesia. My parents and siblings could not be here, but I'm certain that they're watching over me as they always do. I also would like to thank the many friends, mentors, and colleagues who have been a source of tremendous inspiration for me throughout my career, and some of them are here today. Mr. Chairman, it has been a privilege to spend my entire 30-year career in the State Department focused on Asia. I have been honored to represent my country as ambassador to the Republic of Korea and currently to the Republic of Philippines. To be able to serve a third time as ambassador in this region of great importance would be an incredible honor, particularly given our special relationship with Indonesia. The U.S. and Indonesia have a strong relationship that dates back to a time in which prospects for democracy and prosperity in South Asia seemed far from certain. Now, as we celebrate 70 years of British diplomatic relations, it is remarkable how much Indonesia has achieved, both as a stable democracy and as a G20 economy. As a proud partner and friend of Indonesia, we look forward to a future of even more progress, shaped by our shared commitment to democracy and global governance, respect for human rights, and promoting stability and prosperity in the region. The U.S. engagement with Indonesia is indeed both broad and deep, featuring extensive defense cooperation, robust partnership and counterterrorism, and meaningful development programs. Regionally, Indonesia has long been a leader in Southeast Asia. Today, we recognize the dynamic role that Indonesia can and does play in support of ASEAN unity and centrality and the promotion of stability in the evolving strategic framework. We applaud Indonesia's growing leadership on a wide range of global issues. Indonesia is an active member of the United Nations and a major source of UN peacekeepers. Indonesia is currently serving a term in the UN Security Council where we coordinate closely on important issues facing the international community. We also appreciate how Indonesia, as the world's largest Muslim-majority nation, demonstrates that Islam and democracy can not only coexist but thrive together. If confirmed, I will support Indonesian efforts to reinforce tolerance and interfaith harmony and to advance respect for human rights more broadly. Mr. Chairman, I also plan to focus on advancing a far more significant, balanced bilateral economic and trade relationship. Our trade should better reflect the size of our markets and the depth of our cooperation in other areas. Of course, the ties between our countries are much more than what our governments do together. It also is about our private sectors working together, our civil societies advancing shared goals, and our students learning from each other. More fundamentally, our relationship is about people-to-people -people ties, and I look forward to leading our efforts to deepen the special friendship between Americans and Indonesians. As two of the world's largest democracies, we share responsibility and compelling national interests to address strategic challenges on the international stage. 
If confirmed, I will do my best to ensure that our shared responsibility is carried out to the fullest. I appreciate the opportunity to appear before you today, and I'm pleased to answer your questions. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Ambassador Kim. Mr. Tim. Chairman Gardner, Senator Young, it's a privilege to be here. Let me thank you for the opportunity to be here today with you. My thanks as well to uh, the President and to the Secretary of State for the confidence that they've expressed in me and also the friends and family, both those who are gathered here as well as those who are watching live right now. I'm pleased to have my parents, Minho and Sunny Tan, my wife, Dr. Sarah Tan, my daughter, Hope Tan, my sons, uh, Enoch, Isaiah, and Moses Tan, here with me today, as well as various friends uh, here as well. The fact that I'm here before you today, senators, is a tribute to the American dream. My parents were children during the hardships and, uh, and difficulties of the Korean War, and it was a dream of my father's from his youth to come to the United States of America, which he views as the promised land. We came to Campbell, California, where uh, we stayed with those we fondly called Uncle Frank and Aunt Janet Ramirez. And we came with empty pockets, but hearts full of this American dream. You may wonder how I got this unique name of Morse. Well, my practical parents realized that there were uh, sounds in my Korean name that could not be pronounced in uh, English. And they also uh, figured that this energetic son of theirs would, was bound to get lost at some point. And so given all those things, they actually named me after the street we lived on, Morse Avenue. <laughs> we actually lived on Alice Avenue previous to that, and that's my sister's name. It's a good thing we didn't live on Alameda de las Pulgas or West 23rd Street, in which case I would ask that you would call me Al or Wes, but uh, that's how I got the name Morris. Here in this land of opportunity, my parents sacrificed to give my sister and I, sister and me, opportunities that they never had. My sister has served as a medical doctor uh, treating heads of state. Uh, I have... Uh, attend, well, I was the first from both sides of my family to attend law school, uh, much less to serve as a tenureful professor of law. I've devoted my professional life to the pursuit of justice, whether it's justice for people who are crushed in political prisoner camps in North Korea, or whether it's those who have been massacred in Latin America. I've advocated, taught, written, and dedicated myself to this ideal of justice. As far back as I can remember, I've been keenly wired along these lines uh, to pursue justice. It is who I am. The GCJ ambassador position is the first and only such position in, all, in the entire world and is a testament to the goodness and greatness of the United States of America of the commitment of our government and people to address mass criminal atrocities, whether it's crimes against humanity, war crimes, or genocide. If confirmed, I would dedicate myself to the prevention, mitigation, and addressing of these mass criminal atrocities. And no government in the world has more tools than the United States of America to address 
these mass criminal atrocities, whether it's diplomatic, whether it's economic, whether it's legal, whether it's military or intelligence tools. I'm passionate that the cry of never again after the horrors of the Holocaust would find greater fulfillment. It was the United States that led after World War II in the formation of the Nuremberg and the Tokyo trials. And it is the United States that is again leading the world through our promotion of global criminal justice through this office. If confirmed, I would be building upon the work of past ambassadors who have uh, done amazing work and I would be seeking to address the places that cry out for justice at this day and time. I have um, been privileged to get the support and counsel, past ambassadors and their deputies, and I would continue to seek their advice and counsel. I would look to collaborate with Congress and other partners to work together for this worthwhile cause. If confirmed, the work would be much bigger than that of just one person. I would also seek to learn voraciously during this time of service. In certain respects, I have been, I think, preparing for this unwittingly to a large extent for most of my life. Serving in this capacity would be the greatest professional honor of my life. It is beyond anything I had ever dreamed of. To me, though, it is more of a mission than a position. If parents coming from the ruins and rubble of the Korean War can see their son in this position, then I submit to you that the American dream, which so many in our country have lived, is alive and well. Thank you again so much for the honor of being here today with you, and I would be pleased to respond to your questions. Thank you, Mr. Tan. Ambassador Curry. Thank you, Chairman Gardner and distinguished members of the committee for giving me the opportunity to appear before you today. And Mar Morse is a tough act to follow, so, um, I, but it, it's, a, it's an amazing honor to serve the American people. And I deeply appreciate the confidence that President Trump and Secretary Pompeo have shown in me by nominating me for this position. I wanted to recognize my family, who is um, some of whom are here today, my wonderful husband, Peter, my children, Mac and Sarah, and my mother-in-law, Dottie, and to say hey to my family watching at home in Georgia, my mom, Gigi, and my sister, Emily. And I also want to thank my friends and colleagues, especially my colleagues from the State Department who are here today, and especially for all of the support that they've shown in helping me prepare for this hearing. Advancing the role of women and girls around the world, socially, politically, and economically, is central to achieving U.S. foreign policy goals. Throughout my career, I've worked to defend the rights of women and girls from regimes that are threatened by the ideas of freedom and equality. As a young congressional staffer, I was involved in early efforts to raise awareness around the Taliban's treatment of women and the Burmese military's systematic use of sexual violence against ethnic nationalities. At the International Republic Institute, I saw firsthand how important it was to encourage women to run for office and otherwise demand a seat at the most powerful tables in their countries. And at every job since, this has been a persistent thread, whether documenting Tibetan mothers who risked everything to get their children an education and religious freedom, or working to ensure the UN system was responding effectively to the scourge of sexual violence and conflict. I've been honored to work alongside and learn from so many amazing advocates, practitioners, political leaders, and survivors. These brave women continue to inspire and motivate me. 
Empowering women and girls around the world is a vital national security issue as well. We know that countries are more peaceful, prosperous, and stable when women are able to fully participate at all levels. In order to realize this goal, women and girls must be free from violence and discrimination in their homes, workplaces, and communities. We must ensure that women are involved in key decisions about peace and security in their communities and nations. Evidence shows that women's participation in peacebuilding, accountability, security sector reform, and countering violent extremism leads to better outcomes across the board. Yet women historically have been absent from critical decision-making about security and power structures. Bold U.S. leadership is key to breaking this cycle, and we are already leading through the Women, Peace, and Security Act, the first country in the world to pass such legislation, thank you, and we are implementing efforts underway across the administration. If confirmed, I will ensure that GWE takes a role, a leading role in our new whole-of-government U.S. WPS strategy. Security and economic opportunity for women are intrinsically related. Women are key drivers of economic prosperity, yet their potential as employers, entrepreneurs, and workers remains undervalued, underappreciated, and underdeveloped. I am proud of the administration's commitment to women's economic empowerment through the Women's Global Development and Prosperity Initiative, and am committed to advancing WGDP if confirmed. Meaningful empowerment often requires changes to policies and societal norms that preclude women from fully participating in the economy. Women must be able to exercise their human rights and fundamental freedoms in the workplace, at home, and in their communities, confident that governments will protect and support them, not persecute them. Identifying and reducing the legal, political, and regulatory barriers faced by women is critical to building a durable foundation for economic empowerment. The State Department is uniquely positioned to carry out this important work, and if confirmed, I look forward to leading these efforts. It's also mission critical that we ensure today's women, or today's girls, receive the skills and education needed to become tomorrow's women leaders. The underrepresentation of women and girls in STEM fields, for example, is an area ripe for public-private um, engagement. The United States has long been a global leader on these issues. Using the new tools Congress and the White House have given us, we have to refocus our efforts, renew and expand our partnerships, and be bold in our advocacy. If confirmed, I look forward to working with our colleagues and counterparts across the U.S. government and around the world to advance and protect the rights of women and girls. Thank you so much for the opportunity to appear here today. I look forward to your questions. Thank you, Ambassador Curry. And again, thanks to all of the nominees uh, who are here today uh, for your service. And to the families, again, my thanks to all of you uh, for the time away from home and uh, the work that you provide and the uh, efforts uh, that go into uh, this service is greatly appreciated. Ambassador Kim, I'm reminded uh, of our time that when, when we had uh, a meeting together at the very facility uh, where we were meeting, hours after we left, was attacked. And I can't think of... Uh, um, any more than just to say thank you from all of us sincerely for the work that each and every one of you is already doing and that you're about to undertake in further endeavors. Um, we're going to start now with questions uh, and uh, turn to members. I just want to start to briefly with comments on China. In a little bit, we're going to have a hearing uh, on the Asia Reassurance Initiative uh, Act. Uh, we're going to go uh, forward with that. Um, uh, so I know my colleague, uh, Senator Markey, is going to be joining us uh, shortly for that. Uh, but I'm going to reserve my time uh, and uh, yield first to Senator Young if you would like to uh, begin with questions, and we'll go to Senator Shaheen after that. I caught him off guard. I apologize. No, it's just a dramatic pause. 
Well, um, I thank you all for uh, your interest in serving. Uh, without exception, I was uh, favorably impressed by your backgrounds, uh, by your qualifications, and um, I anticipate supporting each of you. I've had an opportunity to visit with a, a number of you, so um, I'll ask Ms. Cantor, uh, as, as you, uh, you and I have not uh, been able to personally visit, so as you step into this role, um, just identify your top priorities for me, please. Thank you, Senator, for that question. Uh, if confirmed, I, I would love to strengthen the bilateral relationship between the FSM and the U.S. I will also work on, uh, with the government of the FSM on uh, uh, reaching their economic development goals. There are certain areas where they uh, need assistance. We have been providing about $80 million every year uh, on six areas, six uh, topics, uh, such as health, education, the environment, public infrastructure, public sector capacity development, and private sector capacity development. I would also aim to uh, encourage private sector investments I will work with uh, other agencies in uh, the federal government, like the Department of Interior and others that are present in uh, the FSM. And I also would love to promote the role of women and girls in, uh, in leadership in the FSM. Thank you. Um, Mr. Tan. Yes, sir. Uh, it was good to uh, visit with you yesterday. I, uh, um, I found quite interesting uh, our conversation about uh, the challenges associated with serving as an ambassador, as, a, as a, our, our United States point person to an island nation, uh, and, and you are uniquely qualified uh, for that role. Maybe you could sort of explain to my colleagues uh, some of the challenges and opportunities associated with that. Thank you very much, Senator. It was a privilege to meet you yesterday. I very much enjoyed our discussion as well. Um, so Philippines is a country of 7,000 islands. I didn't think I could find a country that had even more islands, but Indonesia has 17,000 islands. <laughs> and I think both countries present some unique circumstances. Um, but I think at the heart of the, our relationship with both the Philippines and Indonesia is that we have a strong partnership, multifaceted partnership, um, in, that includes military cooperation, counterterrorism cooperation, a fairly robust economic partnership, um, and of course, both countries being in that um, important region um, are affected by China's Chinese behavior in the South China Sea. So I hope, uh, if confirmed by the Senate, uh, that I will have a chance to work with Indonesians to expand our cooperation with them on both regional and global issues. Well, thank you so much. Mr. Tan, you and I have not had an opportunity to visit, so just uh, your top priorities, please, as ambassador. Yes, um, among my priorities would be what this uh, body, namely Congress, has supported, and given the first programmatic funding for, namely seeking accountability for ISIS in Iraq and Syria. Uh, this, uh, there are efforts that are ongoing. I would continue to support them for the IIIM, for example, and UNITAD, who are seeking to secure and gather evidence that could be used for prosecutions, some of which are going on domestically in places such as Germany and Sweden. Uh, but in, this, uh, in the conflict and in the situations that are there, uh, there are very serious issues that I would uh, make a priority as uh, you and Congress have done. And uh, let me thank you for the, for the support that uh, Congress has given along these lines. 
North Korea, which I've dedicated much of my scholarship and media work and teaching to, uh, is another priority of mine. I understand that has also been a major priority both of Congress as well as the executive branch, and this would be a, um, an important priority. And I have various others, but those are two examples. Well, thank you. Uh, Ms. Curry, I, I have 40 seconds remaining, so I, uh, one or two top priorities you would have uh, should you be confirmed. Thank you, Senator Young. Um, the two priorities are actually quite straightforward. We have two great new tools, the Women, Peace, and Security Strategy that Congress has given us, the Women, Peace, and Security Act, and we are now implementing WPS strategies across the administration with a whole-of-government approach to this important initiative, and then the WGDP initiative, Promoting Women's Economic Empowerment. I, if confirmed, I would see building the office's work around these two really important strategic initiatives and making sure that we are focusing like a laser on implementing these two great initiatives. Well, thank you. I, I have uh, more than a measure of confidence that each of you will indeed be uh, confirmed. I wish you well, and I look forward to doing some good together. I yield back. Thank you, Senator Young. Senator Shaheen. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Congratulations to each of you on your nominations, and thank you for your willingness to serve at this critical time. Um, Ambassador Curry, first of all, thank you for taking time to meet with me this morning. I appreciated the opportunity to talk with you, and um, as you know, I shared some of my concerns about the, the way this administration has um, pushed an agenda on gender issues. For example, at the United Nations, U.S. officials have described the United States as a pro-life nation, which I appreciate. There are legitimate differences of view about abortion. My concern is that that has bled over into other issues affecting women in ways that are um, often detrimental to the health of women. The, at the UN, the U.S. threatened to veto a resolution supporting victims of rape over the single mention of sexual and reproductive health. When I think about reproductive health, for myself, I'm not talking about abortion, and I don't think most women are. Um, we've also aligned the U.S. with countries like Saudi Arabia that have a very troubling history on women's and LGBTQ rights. So can you commit that if you're confirmed that you will support women's rights, including reproductive rights, gender equality, and when I say reproductive rights, I'm talking about in the context of family planning. Um, I'm not talking about abortion gender equality and LGBTQ rights in all aspects of U.S. policy. Thank you, Senator Shaheen, for that important question. And I appreciated the opportunity as well to have a frank exchange of views with, this, with you this morning. Um, as, as I said this morning, this is a pro-life administration pursuing a pro-life foreign policy. And the policy of the administration is to protect women's health and, and to but also to ensure that U.S. taxpayer dollars are not used to promote or provide abortions as a form of family planning. So our efforts in that regard have been focused on that. I am committed to advancing the health and well-being of women and girls globally and continue to believe that the United States is a leader in this regard. We remain the largest um, provider of family planning assistance in the world, and that will continue to be the case. 
and we continue to support in the United States, the United States government and the administration continues to support a broad range of women's health initiatives related to maternal health, sexual violence and conflict, an issue I've worked on extensively, and HIV AIDS prevention and treatment. So I believe that the administration continues to provide for assistance to women's health and well-being and will continue to do so and, can, and I strongly support those efforts. Um, I just leave it at that. Thank you. And so will you um, commit to pushing back on pressure both within the administration and externally to move the U.S. in a counterproductive direction on issues that affect women and girls globally? I will commit to pursuing a very vigorous policy of promoting and protecting the human rights of women and girls, including their, their rights to adequate health care and the highest, stand, highest attainable standards of health. Um, thank you. I, I think it's very important for us to have an ambassador for global women's issues, and I very much appreciate your willingness to consider taking on this responsibility. Um, Mr. Tan. Will you commit to work with the Departments of Justice and Defense in order to ensure that um, those who are associated with the notorious British ISIS cells, known as the Beatles, are brought to justice in civilian courts in the United States, that they're not simply sent to Guantanamo Bay? And I would just point out that those terrorists who until recently were held in detention in Syria um, it's my understanding that they have been moved, but they are believed to be responsible for the killing of Americans, including James Foley, whose family is cons are constituents of mine. And I know that the families who lost loved ones to ISIS terrorists are very concerned about seeing that those responsible for the murders are brought back to the United States and brought to justice in civilian courts. Thank you, Senator Shaheen, for your important question. I share your concern uh, and the concern of those who are both ISIS victims and their family members and loved ones, and bringing accountability for the atrocities that ISIS has committed will indeed be a priority of mine. And it is something that would encompass the range of the atrocities that have been perpetrated and are ongoing to an extent so thank you very much for your important question, and I could commit to what you have mentioned. Thank you, I appreciate that. And I know the families will too. Ambassador Kim, surprisingly, New Hampshire has the largest Indonesian American population north of New York in Summersworth, New Hampshire. I don't know if you were aware of that. Um, but they have recently inaugurated the first Little Indonesia, which we're very proud of, and I hope that if confirmed that you'll take time to come and visit um, Little Indonesia and visit Summersworth, New Hampshire and hear from the Indonesian population in New Hampshire their views on what's happening in the country. Thank you very much for that warm invitation. I very much look forward to visiting Little Indonesia if confirmed by the committee. Thank you. And can you, many of those Indonesians who fled to New Hampshire and the United States came because of religious prosecution they are, or persecution. They are Christians who were persecuted in their home islands in Indonesia. Can you talk about how you would promote U.S. values around uh, respect for religious freedom? And given that that has been challenging in Indonesia, how you can help um, encourage them to address 
that in a more positive way. Thank you, Senator. Um, Indonesia has made significant strides, but I think we can agree that more needs to be done. Uh, and I intend to spend considerable amount of time working with senior government officials, including President Jokowi, on promoting greater religious tolerance and interfaith harmony. I believe um, they're on the right path, and we want to work with them to continue to encourage them. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. My time is up. Thank you, Senator Shaheen. And uh, Senator Markey has graciously allowed uh, uh, I was going to yield to him for a statement, but go ahead, Senator Brasso, if you'd like to. Uh... Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman, I want to take this opportunity to raise my concerns with the nomination of Sung Kim to be the U.S. Ambassador to Indonesia. In 2017, we learned through press reports that the U.S. Ambassador to the Philippines, Ambassador Kim, pledged to the Philippines government to move the Bells of Balangiga from Wyoming's F.E. Warren Air Force Base to the Philippines. I joined Wyoming veterans in strongly opposing the efforts of Ambassador Kim. Despite the opposition of our veterans and legislation passed to protect the veterans' memorials, Ambassador Kim believed it was, quote, the right thing to do to return the bells soon. Well, the bells of Balangiga were not just some bells indiscriminately taken during the Philippine insurrection. These bells were part of a veteran memorial located in Wyoming that paid tribute to the massacre of C Company 9th Infantry. The bells of Balangiga were used by the Filipino insurgents to signal the attack on American soldiers while they were asleep. In all, 48 of the 75 U.S. soldiers were killed during the attack. To honor the soldiers of C Company, these bells were legally brought to Cheyenne, Wyoming to be placed at Fort D.A. Russell, which is now F.E. Warren Air Force Base. A veteran memorial was erected, displaying these bells as a way to recognize the troops who bravely fought for our nation and never came home. Mr. Kim's support for moving the bells to the Philippines resulted in tearing down a veteran memorial. In Wyoming, we have a strong tradition of never forgetting the sacrifices of our brave men and women. Dismantling this veteran memorial was completely unacceptable. It also sets a dangerous precedent for future veteran and war memorials. Mr. Kim's support and involvement helped establish a bad precedent for the future. There is nothing more important for a nation than to honor and remember those who died in service to their country. Mr. Kim's support for dismantling the Bells of Belangiga Memorial is contrary to that commitment, and he failed to meet the standard experienced, expected of him. Mr. President, I yield the remainder of my time. Thank you, Senator Brasso. Uh, Senator Markey, would you like to uh, your opening statement, then we'll turn it to uh, uh, Ambassador Kim and the panel for comments. Um, Um, at this point, uh, Ambassador Kim, if you would like to respond. Sure. Unfortunately, the Senator has left the room, but uh, I would just like to state for the record that the administration's decision to return the Balangiga bills was obviously a very difficult decision, and one that was made after a very careful deliberation by then Secretary of Defense Mattis and other senior officials of the administration. They de decided, uh, after extensive consultations with veterans organizations, that returning the bells was the right thing to do for the alliance with the Philippines. Um, throughout the deliberation process, our colleagues in Washington consulted with 
various veterans organizations and address their concerns fully. Um, so I regret that uh, Senator Barrasso has deep concerns about uh, the decision, but it was an administration decision that was made after very careful consideration. Thank you, uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman. Um, uh, Mr. Kim, um, as we know, countering violent extremism is not a problem only in the Middle East, but also in Southeast Asia. There are news reports that Indonesian ISIS fighters and family members have escaped prisons in Northeast Syria during the current crisis initiated by President Trump. The global implications of the administration's poor judgment in the Middle East must be acknowledged. Mr. Kim, how will you work with the Indonesian government to address ISIS fighters and counter-violent extremism? Thank you very much, Senator, for that a very important question. Um, we have a strong law enforcement-led counterterrorism cooperation with Indonesia, and we hope to expand that cooperation. Indonesia, in recent years, has taken a number of steps to strengthen their counterterrorism fight, including passing a counterterrorism law that gives law enforcement authorities greater authority to go after um, funding for terrorist organizations and also to stop Indonesians from going overseas to join terrorist organizations. So we want to encourage them to do more uh, and I'm deeply committed uh, to focusing on this very important aspect of the relationship. Um, so you, you've been working on ISIS issues in the Philippines, is that correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, so thank you. So it's just very important for them to uh, know that uh, we want to partner with them in that battle. But at the same time, um, the Indonesian government um, should establish a truth and reconciliation measures, but also investigate and prosecute those responsible for grave human rights violations. So we thank you for your commitment to hold Indonesia accountable and demonstrating American commitment to human rights in the region. Um, you have also been nominated to uh, serve in a country that has great potential. Um, and while we appreciate the democratic progress that Indonesia has made since 1998, I am still concerned about the reports of increasing political instability and threats to basic human rights protections and democratic norms. The proposed criminal code, which spurred the country into protest this past August and September, would have violated tenets of free speech and freedom of association, various provisions would have restricted access to contraception, freedom of speech, and reduced the rights of religious minorities. Ambassador Kim, if confirmed, how will you press the Indonesian government to take action on human rights, ending hateful rhetoric against minorities, establishing accountability for security forces, and upholding the right to freedom of expression? Thank you, Senator. Um, Indonesia as you suggest, has made significant progress on governance and respect for human rights, but more needs to be done. Uh, and I pledge to work closely with President Jokowi and his senior team to make sure that they remain focused on promoting human rights, improving governance, making bureaucracy more transparent and more accountable. Um, I believe there is an opportunity for us to do more with them. Indonesia has long been a leader uh, in Southeast Asia uh, and have shown that they can be a responsible leader, not just on regional issues, but on global issues as well. So I look forward to working with them, if confirmed, uh, to make sure that they are, their path to improving governance for all Indonesians continues. Okay, so a lot of the, the protests that are actually uh, 
occurring are protesting uh, the past human rights violations and asking for accountability. And that goes back to the Sohato era. President uh, Widodo has not followed through on his promise to address past violations through the judicial system. So Ambassador Kim, if confirmed, will you push the Indonesian government not only to establish truth and reconciliation uh, measures, but also to investigate and prosecute those responsible for grave human rights violations? Yes, I very much look forward to working with the leaders in Indonesia to make sure that the path towards greater uh, governance, transparency, and accountability continues. Do you agree that many of the proposed changes to Indonesia's criminal code raises serious human rights concerns, in particular possible violations of basic civil and political rights? So apologies, but I'm not fully read up on all of the uh, provisions in the proposed criminal statute. But I do know that uh, the concerns expressed by citizens with regards to possible curtailment of authorities given to the Anti-Corruption Commission is of deep concern. Uh, that commission has played an important role in not only dealing with corrupt activities currently, but also at looking into past corrupt practices. So I would like to work with uh, the Indonesian authorities to make sure that that very important commission's authorities are fully maintained. Yeah, I, I, I wrote a letter to Senator, uh, to Secretary Pompeo back in June expressing concerns for recent reports that the State Department was restricting U.S. embassies from flying the Pride Parade. Such actions are worrying, especially at a time when it is crucial for the U.S. to be a leader in supporting LGBTI rights around the world. In Indonesia alone, reports have indicated harrowing incidents of intimidation, uh, discrimination, and attacks against LGBTI people. Uh, Ambassador Kim, if confirmed, how will you encourage the government to reform its policies and attitudes towards the LGBTI community? Senator, I'm deeply committed to protecting and promoting LGBTI rights. Um, and as I've done in my previous assignments in Korea and the Philippines, I, if confirmed, I look forward to working with uh, Indonesian authorities as well as the civil societies to make sure that LGBTI communities' rights are protected uh, adequately in Indonesia. Okay, and Indonesia in March threatened to uh, pull out of the Paris Accord over an EU decision to rule out palm oil as a biofuel by 2030. Considered as one of the five largest emitters of greenhouse gases, Indonesia's suggestion only stalls our global commitment to fight the existential uh, threat of climate change. Ambassador Kim, if confirmed, what types of U.S. programs or investments will you support to ensure Indonesia's continued commitment to fighting climate change? Senator, thank you for that important question. Um, USAID and other elements of the embassy in Jakarta have been engaged in a number of productive programs to uh, help the Indonesians deal with environmental resilience and disaster relief. Some of the programs have focused on um, irresponsible deforestation. So I would like to continue those programs, and if at all possible, to enhance those programs, broaden those programs so that we're covering more of Indonesia in terms of environmental resilience and making sure that they actually practice responsible deforestation and marine sustainability practices. Thank you, Mr. John. Thank you, Senator Markey. Um, I look forward to working with Ambassador Kim, Mr. Desombre, as well, and Ms. Cantor on uh, issues relating to implementation of the Asia Reassurance Initiative Act uh, that Senator Markey and I authored 
uh, as we move forward with the appropriations process, uh, the tools that it makes available for uh, continued and growing presence in Asia and U.S. leadership is incredibly important. Mr. DeSombre, I'd like to follow up with you at some point uh, on a cholera constituent issue that we have in Thailand in terms of uh, a company and a challenge that uh, they're having a, a, a dispute uh, over a timely, uh, a dispute over an issue with the Institute uh, for Nuclear Technology. Uh, and perhaps we can get into that a little bit uh, later as you uh, get into uh, the role itself. Uh, thanks to Mr. Tan for being here as well. Uh, perhaps we can have a conversation about uh, Uyghurs and the role of your office uh, and uh, the, the work that we need to do to stand up for human rights and the criminal activity that's taking place in China uh, as a result of their treatment of uh, populations like uh, the Uyghur population. And Ms. Curry, we heard from Brian Hook this morning talking about the role of FIFA in Iran and uh, how women uh, were being excluded from these soccer games, matches, uh, and what it meant for U.S. leadership. And of course, that voice is incredibly important as we not only empower women and girls around uh, Iran, but around the, the world uh, to the standards that we know every human being uh, deserves. Um, so thank you to all of you for your time and testimony today. I'm going to go ahead and adjourn the hearing because of uh, the need to move on with the next panel. Uh, so thank you all for attending the hearing. Thank you very much for your willingness to serve. Uh, for the information of members who attended or those who did not, the record will remain open until the close of business on Friday, including for members to submit questions for the record. Uh, I would, uh, this is your homework assignment. I kindly ask that uh, you respond as promptly as possible. The responses will be made a part of the record. Uh, we are going to adjourn this committee hearing. We're going to have a few minutes of time to turn around and prepare for the next hearing. And once that's set, uh, then we'll begin with the subcommittee hearing. With that, uh, the committee's adjourned. <laughs>